Hi, everyone. Welcome into episode number 62 of the Building Up Podcast. I'm David McConnell. As always, thank you guys for being with us this week. If you're a new listener to the podcast, we would love for you to consider subscribing, checking out our archives, and you'll also get notifications uh, for any future episodes that we release. And we would love to hear from you. So you can email us at buildingup at agapepinson.com and just let us know that you're a new listener. And we'd love to make that connection. And for all of you, if there's a particular episode or just in general, if you think this podcast would be helpful for someone in your life, please consider sharing it with them and letting them know about it. We try to, as as often as we receive questions from uh, those in our church or those who are just listening to the podcast, we attempt to answer those, and this week is no different. So let me read you the question that we are focused on this week. A listener asks, How do I reply or what do I look to when people discount the historical accuracy of the Bible? Great question. And I think all of us as believers will find ourselves in a position like this at some point in our Christian walk, whether it is maybe someone we just see or hear from on social media, uh, perhaps someone in a group setting like a classroom or at work, or maybe someone that we are trying to speak to about the gospel. And they question whether or not the Bible is reliable, whether or not the evidence of our faith is reliable. So as I was pondering how to answer the question, I came up with three categories of thought or three categories that I would point you to. Um, And I've kind of got them listed in order of importance. I think these are potentially all important for us as believers, but I definitely think uh, some are more important than others. So Uh, The first category of thought that I have in terms of how we can uh, be better prepared to reply to someone who discounts the accuracy of the Bible is to study some basic apologetics. Now, an apologetic or apologetics is the the study uh, of defending our faith, how to know how to put together a eloquent, concise defense of our faith. Let me just tell you up front, I am not an apologist. That is not my calling in life. Um, I am called to be a church pastor. I uh, love to shepherd people with God's Word, to teach and to preach and to help people be equipped with uh, or for their faith and to spiritually grow. And so I know some basic apologetics just that I've studied on my own, but it's not my area of expertise. But I think for all of us as believers, it would be good to have just a basic level understanding of how to defend our faith. So I would find a good resource out there, and there are many that are written by solid, uh, biblical, Jesus-loving apologist who can help you to think through some of these questions on a more academic basis. Now, a book that I have that I purchased years ago, probably uh, over 15 years ago now, is one by a man named Josh McDowell, and it's called A Ready Defense. And I haven't looked it up. I imagine you could find it on Amazon. Uh, but it was written in the early 90s or compiled in the early 90s, and it's ba- basically just a reference book for basic uh, ap- apologetics. Now, Josh McDowell was an atheist who uh, set out to disprove Christianity as an academic exercise and in the process became convinced 
of Jesus and was saved. And now he, uh, he dedicated his life after that in ministry to helping other people understand how to defend their faith. So in, in the book that, uh, that I referenced a moment ago, Josh McDowell deals with things such as the Bible and its reliability, how to answer criticisms from an academic standpoint, how to compare Christianity to other religions in the world, and even historical evidence of Jesus. And and one of the the things that Josh McDowell spends a lot of time on is just helping people think about the uniqueness of the Bible and the very uh, evidence for its authenticity and accuracy just by looking at the very makeup of the Bible itself. You're talking about a book that has been uh, read by more people in more languages than any other book in history. But even its very composition, its very makeup, points us to its reliability. Uh, you, you look at some religions in the world, and, and you can fact-check me on a couple of these because, again, this is, uh, this is not something that I, I study often. But you think about the Book of Mormon uh, that the uh, Mormon religion follows is written by a man, one man, Joseph Smith. Uh, you think about the Quran, followed by millions of Muslims all over the world, those who ascribe to Islam. Uh, it is written by the prophet Muhammad, or was uh, given an account of by the prophet Muhammad and then written down by scribes over a period of like 22 years, I believe. But when you look at the Bible, you're talking about a book that was written by more than 40 different authors over 40 different generations, a period uh, over 1,500 years in which the Bible was penned. And these authors came from all different walks of life. They were kings and peasants. They were fishermen. They were poets. They were scholars. They wrote in different locations on three different continents, and they wrote in different languages. Yet when you look at the Bible, the entire thing speaks with this harmony and this continuity, and it tells one unfolding story, and that is God's redemption of man pointing to one man, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so the, the very makeup of that book uh, tells us it would be so hard for there to be this uh, conspiracy to uh, create fraud by writing the Bible and telling fictitious stories when it's written by so many people over so many years in so many different places, yet tells one story, which points us to one single author, divine author in in God, which is what we believe. Josh McDowell tells a story in his book about being in a classroom one time and, and um, giving a lecture on the New Testament and teaching a, a history class. And he made the comment that he believed there was more evidence for the reliability of the New Testament than almost any 10 pieces of classical liter- literature anywhere in the world put together. And the professor in the class challenged him on that. And Josh McDowell asked the professor, well, what test do you apply to a piece of literature to make sure it's reliable? And the professor didn't have an answer, and Josh McDowell said, I think you should apply to the Bible the same test you would apply to any uh, any historical book. And that is, one, a bibliographical test, two, uh, a test of internal evidence, and then three, a test of uh, ex- external evidence. And Josh McDowell talks about that in his book, how those three things point to the reliability of Scripture.
So I'll pause there. Or I'll stop there with category one and just say I think all of us would be uh, it would, would be benefit for us to do some basic apologetic study and pick up a good resource. Secondly, second second category of thought is to focus on the resurrection of Jesus, because I believe that's what the New Testament does. And and you might, if you're in a conversation with someone, even gently, lovingly ask them for a plausible explanation for the beginning of Christianity other than the resurrection. Or you might ask them what they do with all of the eyewitness accounts about Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection that are written about in Scripture. And, and yes, there is historical, non-Christian, non-biblical writings and evidence for a person named Jesus who was crucified in the first century. Josh McDowell talks about that in his book as well. But the internal evidence of the Bible points us to the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus as a reason we should believe in him as the Son of God. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That'll be our Bible reference for today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is preaching to the church in Corinth, and he he mentions how Jesus has died and was resurrected from the dead. And he says there, you can start in verse, uh, verse 4, Jesus was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the all 12 disciples. And then in verse 6, he says, Then he appeared, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So Paul says, you know, this is, uh, he didn't use this language, but he, he's, you know, this isn't like a Bigfoot uh, sighting like we would know today, where some person, you know, on a back road somewhere had an obscure view of something that they thought they saw. You know, Paul's saying, no, this this resurrection of Jesus is verifiable by eyewitnesses. And not just one, although we have one, and not just 12, although there were 12, but at at some point he appeared to 500 people at one time. So if this is a delusion, it's a mass delusion. And Paul furthermore says some of those 500 are still alive. Now, He's talking to the church in Corinth in that day, so we don't believe they're still alive now. But Paul was saying when that letter was written, you can go ask them if you want to. Keep in mind that these letters that are written in the New Testament, are most of them are being written within just a few decades of the resurrection of Jesus. The entire book, we believe, was finished within 50, 60 years of his resurrection. Most of these letters, like this one in Corinthians, was written within probably just 20 or 30 years of his resurrection. So Paul's saying, look, go ask the witnesses. They're still around. And he goes on to talk about how the resurrection is the centerpiece of the Christian religion. That if Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, if he wasn't, then Christianity is a farce and anyone who follows Christianity should be pitied. But then he goes on to say Jesus did raise from the dead, that Paul had seen him himself as had so many other witnesses, and they were teaching us what they saw and what they heard from Jesus. And you have to even focus on the disciples themselves. These 12 men who followed Jesus, proclaiming to have seen him raised from the dead. And keep in mind that they testified about this with their very lives. Church history tells us that all of these disciples died suffered and died 
uh, horrific deaths because they would not recant their testimony that Jesus was risen from the dead, including one of Jesus' own brothers that he grew up with, uh, a man named James, who uh, apparently, according to other uh, teaching in Scripture, at one point during Jesus' ministry thought he was crazy and had lost his mind, but afterwards became a leader in the church and a proponent of Christianity, teaching that Jesus was the Son of God. What could have possibly made James, the brother of Jesus who grew up with him as a young man, all of a sudden believe that his brother was the Son of God? And I, I would say it was the resurrection. So that category of thought is to gently challenge people to give their own explanation. Uh, the origins of Christianity are basically basically unimaginable without the resurrection being true. That's what many scholars would say. And that is accurate. So what is the explanation of the origins of Christianity, and what do you do with all of these eyewitness accounts, including these men who gave up their lives for their belief? And my third and, and final category of thought is this. Show people your own changed life in your own testimony. We need to keep in mind that we will never convince someone academically to be a follower of Christ. We will never convince them by our persuasion of through facts and figures, that they should be saved. Ultimately, salvation is a miracle, and it's a miracle that God must do in our hearts. And so we pray for people to come to an understanding. Now, God uses the preaching of his word and the teaching of his word and the sharing of his word, and that includes, I believe, conversations where you are defending your faith through the scriptures. But it is not going to be by a plausible argument that you convince someone to be saved. The best evidence is share your own testimony of knowing Jesus and spending time with him, which requires that you do know Jesus and spend time with him and that you have this growing faith that is indisputable that God's doing something in your life. Matthew 5.16, Jesus instructs the church, his followers, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So yes, learn some basic apologetics, focus on the resurrection, speak to people about these things, but keep in mind, it is only Christ that can save them. So pray for them, and focus on building yourself up in your faith, and letting your light shine before them, that they too might become convinced of the gospel and the accuracy of Jesus. I hope this has been helpful to you and uh, would love to hear some feedback. So use the email address I gave you earlier or that you'll hear in the outro in a moment to send in any further questions or comments and uh, about this topic or any other topic you would love for us to talk about. We want to receive your own questions and suggestions for topics. So thank you for listening today. I love you guys. Until next time, grace and peace to your family. Thank you for listening to the Building Up Podcast. If you have a question about today's episode or if you would like to suggest a topic for the future, please email us at buildingup@agapepinson.com. To subscribe to this podcast, simply search for Building Up from Agape Church in your favorite podcast app. Or you can watch the video format by visiting us online at agapepinson.com. Mm-hmm.